I want to thank you for listening and for all your support as we at Death, Sex, and Money have made our move to Slate. Your stories, voice memos, and emails have meant so much to the team. As part of this transition, there's a new way to support our show financially at Slate, our new home. And you'll get something special in return. Subscribe to Slate Plus, and you'll not only support our work on death, sex, and money, you'll get access to new benefits, including listening to us and all of the other great shows Slate makes, like Slow Burn and Dakota Ring, without any ads or sponsor breaks. To subscribe, just click Try Free at the top of the Death, Sex, and Money show page on Apple Podcasts or visit slate.com slash DSM plus to get access wherever you listen. Thanks. I always pictured myself alone as a, a single parent, and my friends and I always jokingly called the child Little Timmy, <laughs> and... <laughs> It was just this um, idea I always had. It's just the vision of little Timmy. Yeah. You and little it, Timmy. It's actually little Lil Timmy. Lil, excuse me. Little Timmy. That's okay. Yeah, little Timmy. <laughs> this is Death, Sex, and Money. I don't want to kill you. I want to help you. The show from WNYC about the things we think about a lot. Sweetheart, it doesn't sound like you're in love to me. And need to talk about more. I'll have a bank account. I'm a cash business myself. I'm Anna Sale. Comedian Tig Notaro is a parent now, but she's not a single one. She's married to the actor Stephanie Allen, and they have twin two-year-old boys. Neither of them are named Timmy. They went with Max and Finn. As far as I'm concerned, my life before them, I was just a blob floating around the universe. I just, I don't even understand what I was doing. I don't understand. <laughs> I don't understand my existence. It's just a different, completely different world for me. Tig has been doing stand-up for more than 20 years. And for most of that time, building a stable, routine domestic life was not the goal. I thought I had made it when I was driving around doing these terrible gigs, such terrible gigs that this agent that I had never met, he's just in the middle of America that books upcoming or terrible or random comedians in these <laughs> horrible rooms and bars. You know, you, nobody ever meets these guys. They just answer a phone in in Minnesota or South Dakota, and they're like, what, you want two weeks of work? All right, I can get you booked in here and there, and and you get $75 a night, um, and if I get word that you asked for any discounts or free food, you're never working for me again. <laughs> and you're like, it's that kind of thing, where it's you're just a pile of garbage in their minds. But I was just like, no problem. I will not ask for food or a discount. I'm just happy to be here. When stand-up didn't pay the bills, Tig worked in a coffee shop and as a production assistant at the company that produced the 90s cult TV show Xena, Warrior Princess. That's how she started babysitting for Lucy Lawless, the actor who played Xena. We hit it off immediately, and then she just put me in charge of her child <laughs> and um and it was fun for me too because i got to leave the office and go to disneyland and um you know i remember one time i was on a uh i had 
taken Lucy's daughter, and we were on this, you know, not crazy big roller coaster. I don't like roller coasters, but it was manageable. And it was at the point where it was clicking up, and then my cell phone rang, and I was eating cotton candy, sitting on this roller coaster, and it was my childhood friend, Megan, calling me. And she just hears the click, 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 and the screaming. And she's like, where are you? And I said, I'm at work. Um, I'm on a roller coaster with Zena's daughter. Uh, and then we, I went out down the, you know, the hill, and everyone's like, ah! And she and my friend just said, of course, of course, that's your job. Of course. Um, but my regular job there was just to answer phones and take messages. And I wasn't, I wasn't great at that. When you were, when you were in that stage of your career, like, were you, were you worried about money, about supporting yourself? Uh, I think I was not very good with money. It's really crazy to think back. I I remember getting my mail and just opening bills and putting them down and they never crossed my mind again and then my phone would shut off and I have to say that getting that job uh working you know for Zena <laughs> you know, babysitting Zena's daughter um and answering phones that job actually really gave me guidance and I feel very grateful that I had that job because now I'm I'm ridiculously responsible. Ridiculously responsible. Hmm. Like, what does that mean? I, I just, if something needs to be handled, I handle it. If something needs to be said, I say it. If something needs to be paid, I pay it. I just take care of it. Just saying it is eventually what made Tig famous. In 2012, when she was 41, she got on stage at an L.A. comedy club and talked about all the ways her life was falling apart. Good evening. Hello. I have cancer. How are you? First, she contracted C. diff, a life-threatening infection. Then her mother died suddenly. And then Tig was diagnosed with stage 2 breast cancer. That comedy set went viral. And all of a sudden, Tig was flooded with offers for work. In the space of four years, she wrote a memoir, released two comedy specials, starred in two documentaries, and created One Mississippi, a fictionalized TV show based on her life. You know, in people's minds, it was just that I got really sick, I lost my mother. But now her album's number one, and she has all these opportunities, and everything's great. It was a confusing time. Yeah. I just—it was, was an exciting time that— Oh, people responded to this and to my comedy and to my story, but I also really was still flailing. I felt very lost and confused, and it really took me uh, a little while to find my way again. While Tig was muddling through her newfound fame, she was also trying to become a parent— Before she got sick and before she got together with her wife, Stephanie, she was already planning to do IVF, but she had to put those plans on hold until after her cancer treatment. I was lining everything up in my personal life, and 
I, I felt like I was at an age that, you know, I could be pushing it. It just seemed like a, a, a good enough time for me, as far as I knew. I had no idea that I was <laughs> really ill. And so after after being so ill, after having treatment for cancer, including surgery, what was it like going through IVF in your body? I I was advised not to do IVF, and I definitely put myself at risk by doing IVF because the kind of cancer that I had is um, fueled by hormones, and IVF just injects you with hormones. And I think because I had been so on the track of I'm going to have a child before I was sick, um, I couldn't take my eyes off of it. And um, so, yeah, it was, it was, it was tricky. And I, I, I guess I won't know. Hopefully, hopefully I'm okay and I will be okay because I am in remission now. But hopefully doing IVF, that won't, <laughs> you know, rear its head and mm. cancer won't return. Somehow I hadn't I, thought of that, that you don't know. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> and uh, it's just, uh, it's something where if I spend too much time thinking about it, it will bring me great levels of stress and anxiety, but I try to just uh, accept the decision I made. There's a chance everything will be fine. Mm -hmm. So I, I just, I really don't know. It sounds like you were, that doing IVF was a way to try to sort of get back on track to what your life had been prior to your illness and going through so much in your personal life and to feel in control sure. again. Um, yeah. And IVF is one of those things that you don't have control over, whether it succeeds or not. Yeah, it, it's tricky. I mean, because it's not like I did it and then it was uh, successful. It, it wasn't successful. And when you decided to try to become a parent again, this time with your wife, Stephanie, can you walk me through your decision-making process about how you were going to do that? Well, uh, the first year we were together, I, I, I put things aside and just wanted to focus on our relationship. But it was, it was going to come back up because that was a focus. And... And we actually have a 15-year difference between us. And she, although she wanted children, she didn't necessarily see herself trying to have children for a, a few more years. And so I felt very, very lucky that she didn't skip a beat and just joined me in moving forward. To become parents, Tig and Stephanie used Stephanie's eggs and a surrogate carried the twins. We fell into really an ideal situation. Our 
I mean, it was ideal for us, and it was unfortunate for somebody else. Um, a couple split up in the middle of having uh, having gone through steps to do IVF, and I guess the guy, the husband, decided he didn't want kids and abandoned the relationship. And it was just obviously terrible. And our doctor was their doctor as well, and he said, their surrogate is all teed up to <laughs> to is, do this. She was like a free agent in your doctor's office. She was all ready yeah. to go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we met with her and immediately knew that she was so like-minded and and just really a smart, interesting person and was very open with inviting us to her house to let us see how she lives and the kind of food she eats and she just she just was very we were all very like-minded and um we ended up getting a, a tremendous person to carry our babies have you chosen to to keep the surrogate in your kids lives uh we're you know i think there's just minimal texting, and I think she follows Stephanie on Instagram, and but it's not like she became the you know aunt in in uh, San Diego. You know what I mean? I think it's a a healthy, I don't know, a healthy connection, and just I hope she's happy with how things are. Coming up, Tignataro talks about her relationship with her very rigid, rule-following stepfather, what changed after her mother's death, and what didn't. If I am doing a meet-and-greet at the merchandise booth or something, uh, he stands in line like everybody else and moves up, inches his way up, alone in that line, just to give me a hug. And Stephanie's like, you can cut the line... You can, and he's like, nope, absolutely not. He is not the kind of person who cuts lines. No, he's (laughs) going to wait in line like everybody else. I love getting your emails in the Death, Sex, and Money inbox. Some of my favorite episodes started from someone just reaching out to tell us their story. Like, I interviewed a woman who emailed about becoming a surrogate to pay off the medical bills from having her own kids. I was really conscious of the fact that these were not my babies. I talked to a couple of newlyweds about what happened after the husband was paralyzed in a bike accident three weeks after their wedding. One of the things he said to me a lot in the early days of um, the accident were like, are you going to leave me? And all this summer, a set of listeners have been emailing me regular updates about their summer romances, or lack thereof, in our series, Hot Dates. Okay, let's see. Things you've missed in the shenanigans. That is my love life. 
We've made a playlist of some of my favorite episodes featuring you and your stories on the page for this episode with TIG at deathsexmoney.org. And we're looking for more stories. If you've gone through something that you wish you heard more people talking about, send a note or record a voice memo and send it to us at deathsexmoney at wnyc.org. This episode is brought to you by Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he will chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. I'm Shankar Vedantam, here to tell you about a great mystery. That mystery is you. As the host of a podcast called Hidden Brain, I explore big questions about what it means to be human. Questions like, where do our emotions come from? Why do so many of us feel overwhelmed by modern life? How can we better understand the people around us? Discover your hidden brain. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. We have had a lot of exciting new things to share with you about the show recently, but this might be some of our biggest news yet. Death, Sex, and Money is officially going to be live in New York City at the Tribeca Festival on June 11th. And I want to personally invite you to the live taping we'll be doing with the legendary journalist Kara Swisher. If you know Kara's work, you know her ability to get people to tell her things is unmatched. And she does it in her signature hard-charging way. She's not afraid of things getting a little combustible. I have a slightly different interview style, so we're going to talk about that and play around with that in experimental ways that I think will make this a special show unlike any of our other live shows up to this point. And it's not often that I get to do a live Death, Sex, and Money show in New York, so I really hope to see you there. Whether you're in the city, on the East Coast, or just been looking for a reason to visit New York City, come on June 11th for this show. You can get tickets now at TribecaFilm.com slash Death, Sex, Money. We are so excited to see you there.
This is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. I'm Anna Sale. It's been six years since Tignataro's mom died. It was a shock. She fell at home and died from a head injury. Tig and her mom were always close. Her dad left when she was a baby, and her mom raised Tig and her brother outside of Houston. But they spent summers and holidays with their mother's family in Mississippi. As soon as I crossed that border and it'd say, welcome to Louisiana, it'd feel like I was getting closer to home. And then welcome to Mississippi. It was like, ah, I'm home. When you think about being around your family in Louisiana and Mississippi, was it like when you were there, were you surrounded by cousins and aunts and uncles? Was it a big family? Or how, how do you remember being part of that family and visiting? Yeah, it was it was big, and it was very— um, my family in Mississippi is crazy. They're not, like, certifiably, but they are just a wild and rowdy bunch. And I feel like that kind of made me a little more reserved and just kind of a little removed, observing, like, oh, my gosh, these people are <laughs> um, And I, I love them and, you know, love my mother, but it's just, um, my mother was the kind of person where she would, you know, she'd be walking our family dog in the morning. And my mother was a very attractive woman, and she kind of had a younger energy to her. And, um, you know, if somebody whistled at her, it wouldn't, um, she wasn't like, oh, how dare you? Or she wouldn't, you know kind of go into a, her shell, she'd maybe lift her skirt a little and be like, <laughs> oh, yeah, you know, that's right. That kind of attitude. Mm -hmm. When you think about your mother now and, and grief, how do you think about her death in your life now? I mean, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, new wave of of pain for me um i i can't believe that she never met stephanie and i can't believe that she never met max and finn i can't believe she's stephanie and i differ in this way and that she feels like my mother does see it all and she feels like my mother was instrumental in bringing us together and i think it's really Really great that Stephanie thinks that, um, but I don't. I don't feel it. But um, but yeah, it's it's just I'm like ah, it it just I can't believe that it 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 is so that she will not meet them. After Tig's mother died, she had to figure out a new relationship with her stepfather. He'd been in Tig's life since she was two, but they were never close. He was a lawyer, always a very by-the-book kind of guy. I typically talked to my mother, and then sometimes she would say, "Let me, I'm going to put Rick on. And then it would be like, hello, Tig. Hi, Rick. How are you? Good. <laughs> you know, it was just like, you know, two robots conversing for <laughs> maybe 20 seconds. And then, he was like, all right, well, I'm going to put your mother back on the phone. Did you feel, did, did you have anything that you connected on when you were growing up with your stepdad? I thought 
he was an alien. <laughs> and I, I'm i still not convinced that he's not. Um, he thought I was an alien. And uh, he told me maybe a year before my mother died. Because I was complaining about something that had happened at one of the comedy clubs and... And and he said, "Well, you know, you should go to business school. You should go. You should go to college. I mean, that's this wouldn't be happening if this or that." And and I said, "Are you? I I was like, I'm doing what I want to do. I'm happy. I'm thriving. I'm even though I was a, a blob floating around the universe, I was still happier than I'd ever been." And and I said, "So if I told you I was going to quit comedy and just have the." life sucked out of me and go work in a cubicle or you'd say that was the right decision and he said absolutely huh. and I was like wow wow and that I think was a moment that really pushed me even further from him because I just thought that's that's crazy but it's nice because there's definitely an acceptance now and an understanding and we certainly had to go through a lot of pain with the loss of my mother and my struggles with my health and everything just has really removed any of the unnecessary layers that blocked that connection. Both you and Stephanie have had unconventional adulthoods. Um, neither of you finished high school, is that right? That is right. Do you think about, like, how you'll talk to your kids about the expectations you have for them and the kind of path that they follow? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I have moments where I'm just hanging out and playing with them, and then this thought will cross my mind where I remember, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to have this conversation with them. <laughs> how am I possibly, how are Stephanie and I going to possibly get them to go to school? I mean, <laughs> we ha we don't have a leg to stand on, neither of us. And um, I I'm so in the moment with them that I forget. Because people will ask me, oh, how are you going to tell them about this? Or how are you... How are you going to handle this or the whole school thing? And I'll be like, oh, gosh, that's right. I don't know. I don't know. Have you set up college accounts for them? My stepfather did. Oh, of course he did. Yeah. When I was visiting him uh, maybe a year ago, we were driving, and he said, Tig, um, I was wondering if it would be okay for me to set up college funds for the babies. And I said, yeah, absolutely. And he said, okay, well, you know, I just um, I just wanted to make sure that you were all right with that. And I said, well, yeah. I said, I, I also want to make sure that, that they wouldn't have to go to law school or, you know, medical school or business school and uh, that just, you know, if maybe they had an interest in being, and my stepfather interrupted it and he said, an artist or a musician. And I said, yes, 
Yes, exactly. And and it was such an amazing moment because he rejected all of that in me, in my life, in my upbringing, and my interests were, it was just all nothing to him. And now he just, he gets it. And he finally listened and and looked and paid attention. And I think my mother would be uh, floored. I <laughs> 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 floored. That's Tig Nataro. Her new comedy special on Netflix is called Happy to Be Here. And her Amazon show, One Mississippi, is one of my very favorite portraits of adult family ever in a show. Definitely check out both seasons. Death, Sex, and Money is a listener-supported production of WNYC Studios in New York. I'm based at the Center for Investigative Reporting in Emeryville, California. Our team includes Katie Bishop, Annabelle Bacon, Stephanie Joyce, Emily Botine, and Andrew Dunn. The Reverend John Delore and Steve Lewis wrote our theme music. I'm on Twitter at Anna Sale. The show is at Death, Sex, Money on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Email us anytime at deathsexmoney at wnyc.org. After Tig's mother died, she inherited a lot of her furniture, including a couch that Tig eventually put backstage at Largo, the comedy club in L.A. where she performed her famous set in 2012. Now it's just this fixture back there, and it's where people sit when they're waiting to go on stage. And there's been a lot of photographs of comedians on that couch. And yeah, it's just, it's kind of nice. That's amazing, your mom's couch backstage at Largo. Yeah, and I think my mother would think it was so cool. I'm Anna Sale, and this is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.